Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Um, we're going to continue our series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. And we are going to be talking about the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. Okay, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. We're going to um, we're, we're going to tackle these two, and and I want you to bear with me because the first part is kind of more like a Bible study, right? But you know, it, it's important. One of the 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 things that that we purpose in our heart to do. Um, it acts as churches is as we, we began to, to survey the, the spiritual landscape. And I began to realize that we were dealing with the first biblically illiterate generation, right? We're, you know, back 30 years ago when, when we started uh, in, in our ministry, and I'm like, Pastor, but you're so young. Like you were like five then. I, yes. You know, I started preaching really young. Um, you know, we, we, uh, it was common knowledge, all of the Bible stories, you know, David and Goliath, Moses and the ark. Um, see what I mean? You're like, yeah, it's Noah and the ark, not Moses and the ark, see? Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and I began to realize that, that you know, the, the, the common knowledge within our culture, society of, 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 you know, Bible stories and Bible truths was, was not as prevalent as it was earlier in, in, in our nation, right? And so, you know, I, I began to see that a lot of the people that attend church, they were well-versed in Christian tradition, but not in biblical doctrine, right? Can I get a little bit of less monitor? It's feedbacking up here. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the, the, the purposes that, that we did is that we, we want to take Access Church or keep Access with a sound biblical orthodoxy, right? We want to we wanted to teach the Bible. It's important that we, we know the, the Word of God, right? And, and so, you know, we've been, been teaching on the, these, these seven kingdom parables. And just to kind of recap, that the first 12 chapters of Matthew, Jesus was talking and preaching about the benefits of the kingdom, right? The benefits. And then he kind of shifts gears in chapter 13, and he starts talking about the responsibility of, 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 of kingdom citizenship, right? of what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom. See, when we look at our identity through the lens of, 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 of the scriptures, you'll never find the word Christian, right? That's not how you are identified. We see terms like sonship and citizenship. So we, we are sons and daughters and citizen sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven, right? This is what was God's original intention, not to establish a church, uh, a religion, but to establish and extend his, his, his kingdom, right? It was not about going to heaven, right? And, and unfortunately, many, many years, that's what the primary focus of the church is getting people VIP tickets to heaven. But when you look at the eschatological timeline um, of, of eternity, we realize that we do not spend eternity in heaven. Where do we spend eternity? Those of you that have studied the scriptures. 
here on the earth, in the new heaven and the new earth, right? We go to heaven for seven years, and we have a great big party, a celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and after the seven years, Jesus comes back, and we make war, you know, here on the earth, and we take the earth, we have the millennial kingdom, and after the millennial reign, then Jesus, God creates the new heaven and the earth, and we spend eternity here with him on the new earth, right? So, but it was never about just going to heaven. In fact, when you look at Matthew chapter 25, after Jesus' prophetic discourse in Matthew 24, he says that he, he will say to those on his right hand, those that have been justified, he said, come inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He doesn't come and say, come and, and let's go to heaven, right? He says, come and, and, and get your inheritance, which is not heaven, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, of, of God. And so in chapter 13, Jesus begins to shift his language and he begins to teach and talk about what it takes to be a kingdom citizen. When you are a kingdom citizen, your relationship with God is not just based on convenience, but it's based on commitment, right? It's based on, on being, being uh, uh, committed to the plans and the purposes of God. You get to the point where you realize that it's not about your comfort, but it's about his purposes. You get to the point where you realize that sometimes God's not going to answer your prayer your way. When you are submitted to his lordship and his kingship, he's going to answer your prayers his way, right? You know, and I've used the example, you know, from, from scripture when Samuel, the prophet Samuel was praying for a change in, in kingship and a change in authority over Israel. God God says, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer. Go to Jesse's house, and you're going to anoint one of his sons as kings. He shows up there, and he goes to Eliab and Abinadab and Sama, and he goes through all seven brothers, right? I don't know all seven brothers' names, just those three. Hope you're impressed. Um, <laughs> And, and he goes through all seven, and it's none of them. He starts to scratch his head, and he looks at, at, at Jesse and says, wait a minute, uh, do you have another son, right? And then he says, well, there is David, right? Now, what you've got to realize that David is known to be Jesse's illegitimate son, read, read the scriptures, right? Do you remember when David said in Psalms that he was born and conceived in sin? Oh, Jesus, right? So well, we'll get in there. That's a whole other, whole other preaching, right? So, you know, that was Jesse's embarrassment, right? But, but I love the picture of the kingdom of what God does, that God can take your mistake and make it majestic. And make, it, and make it a king, right? And so he asked Jesse, he says, well, do you have another son? He says, well, you know, in, in, in the Greek it says, el huerco de David, right? That's how it says in, in the Greek. And so they call David from the pasture, and he comes in, and here's this 12-year-old boy, and Samuel's looking at, at David, a 12-year-old boy, and he's looking up to God. He's like, I think we got our signals crossed. I was praying for a king, and you give me a shepherd boy, Right? Right? See, God will often answer our prayers. When we're submitted to his plans and his purposes, he will answer his prayer his way. Right? His way. So he says, God, you know, this is not what I meant. God, like, I kind of meant like what, what Eliab, Eliab was the oldest of Jesse's sons, and he was a, a warrior and a soldier, right? But how many of you know that God knows what he's doing, right? So fast forward four years, David no longer is 12. He's about 16. He just got his driver's license. 
license and his dad calls him, you know, from the field to go uh, and take some food to his brothers who are in the battlefront. And, and, and he finds that, that the army of Israel is being confronted by a big, ugly giant, you know, named Goliath. And he's out there laughing and everything. And Eliab, the guy that everybody thought should be the king, was actually afraid and hiding. And co- here comes this 15, 16-year-old boy. He says, you're scared of that fool? Right? How many of you know that God knows what he's doing? Right? And, and so, you know, when you're submitted to, to God's lordship and his kingship, you understand that God's not always going to answer your prayer your way. You submit and you surrender and say, God, whatever you have to do, God, you can do it in my life. So in chapter 13, he begins to introduce the concept of his kingdom to the multitude. In fact, John 3, 3 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We talked about it last week. He doesn't say, unless you're born again, you come to the altar, pray prayer of salvation, and then you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? And you become a really good Axis church member, and then you die, then you see the kingdom of heaven. No, he says, when you are born again, then you see the kingdom. And we talked about how we live in parallel kingdoms, right? We live in a kingdom within a kingdom, right? Just like I used the example last week when I went, when God called us to move to Mexico as, as missionaries, one of the first things I did, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about moving, what I needed to do, right? So I went to the Mexican consulate in downtown Dallas off of I-35 in Mockingbird Lane, and the moment that I stepped on the property of the consulate, the, the Mexican embassy, do you realize I was no longer in the U.S.? Where was I? I was in Mexico. Like literally like boom, boom, and without papers, huh? without a passport, right? You know, I could literally go back and forth. The moment that I stepped on the property, even though I was surrounded by, by Dallas, I was no longer in Dallas. I was no longer in the United States. I was now in Mexico, right? And see, that's a picture of us. When you and I, we, we, we become, you know, citizens of the kingdom. We are born into kingdom citizenship. The moment that you and I, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we now become citizens and we are living in the kingdom of heaven, but we are surrounded by a different kingdom. We don't live according, and the way the old religious vernacular was, was that we are no longer in the world. Like, I don't really like that because that makes us look weird to people that don't know what we're saying and they're looking at when I was in the world they're like dude where are you (laughs) like you are in the world no but like when I was in the world right and and what we're saying is that when I used to be a part of the kingdom of darkness right but now I'm part of the kingdom of heaven so are you with me so Jesus says unless you are born again then you will be, uh, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that term born again has a double meaning. It's a, it's a Greek word called anathen, which means again or from above. In other words, that unless you are born and, and, and you are born in, into a, a different a mindset in a different way of thinking, then you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul says that you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when I have a lot of stories of, of things that, that, that were not very pleasant 
when we moved to Mexico, because when, when I moved to Mexico, I was trying to live in Mexico like I live here in the United States. And let me tell you, it doesn't work. It, it's different, right? And, and you know, there, there's, you know, funny, funny, you know, stories that, that have happened to me. Like when I moved over there, I, I bought all of my appliances and I sent them over there and they were all electric, right? Over there, they use mainly gas appliances, right? And you wouldn't believe that I was paying like $150, $200 every two months for electricity. So you calculate like $100 a month and you think, that's not bad, but I'll take that deal. Well, when you compared that everybody else was paying like $30 every two months, now they're like, wait a minute, right? So I moved down there. I had this really little, beautiful, you know, very fancy water cooler that you hit one button, cold water would come out and you hit another button, hot water would come out. Let me tell you, when I started to realize that everybody's only paying $30 and I'm paying almost $200 every two months, the first thing I did was unplug that fancy little machine. I went to the mercado and I bought this, this little thing that you take the big five-gallon thing, you put it in there, and you pour it yourself. Like, <laughs> that's for free, right? right? So I, I had to change. If I was going to assimilate and, and not stick out like a sore thumb in Mexico, I had to learn how to live according to Mexico. I had to li- learn to live there, right? And, and, and with us, when we, we come into the kingdom, we can no longer live like we are part of the kingdom of darkness. We've got to learn to live like we are the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's teaching us how to live within the kingdom. So last week we talked about how we become citizens of the kingdom is by being born into it, right? Just the way you became a citizen of of your native country, whether it's the United States or Mexico, you didn't have to do anything special. Like for me, I didn't have to do anything special to become a United States citizen. All I had to do was be born into it. So when Jesus is telling the rich young ruler to to see the kingdom, you've got to be born again, he's telling us the process of naturalization to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? Okay. So when we look at scripture, there, we look at scripture, there are three levels of interpretation. This is important, right? The, you, you've got to, you, it's important to know if you're going to be able to extract all of the richness of God's word, you've got to understand that there's three levels of interpretation. The first one we call the primary interpretation. Now, in the, theological terms, we call that exegesis, right? Um, we exegete the scriptures. We draw out the meaning. That is God's original message to the original audience, right? Now, it's important to note that that a message can't mean something to us that did not that was not intended to the original audience. So we've got to under the, understand the primary interpretation. The second level is the practical application. In theological terms, we call that hermeneutics. I hope you're not getting bored, right? Okay. Like I told you, it's going to be a little bit uh, didactic for, for a, a few moments, right? In exegetical terms, we call, that, we call that hermeneutics. It's the practical application. How we take the transuniversal principle embedded in God's word and the truth, and we apply it to our everyday lives. And then the third level 
is the prophetic interpretation or the prophetic revelation. It's the, it's the view of God's plan for mankind. So when we look at the seven kingdom parables according to Matthew chapter 13, we see that the, in, in verse 1 and verse 2, it tells us that the first four parables Jesus taught to the multitudes. He was by the Sea of Galilee. And, and he was teaching to the crowd, the multitudes. Then in verse 36, something significant happens. is uh, uh, Jesus sends the multitude away. And the Bible says that he enters the house again. And he, begin, he continues to teach his disciples. Matt, go with me to Matthew 13, uh, 34 to 36. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field, right? So, so Jesus starts his teaching. He's teaching for these four kingdom parables to the multitude. Then at one point, he tells the multitude, okay, you got go to you gotta go away. He goes into the house, but his disciples ask him for more. See, the way that you can determine whether you are a follower or a fan is if you're hungry for more, right? If you really want more. See, if you only eat spiritual meat once a week, then then you're more of a fan than you're not, than you are a follower, right? But if you're like me, like I can't wait just to to, to receive on Sunday. I got to get the meat of God's word in my life on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. As you can tell, I like to eat, right? And I don't like to just eat food, earthly food. I like to eat spiritual food, right? And so it, the disciples were were like, "Wait a minute, this is this is good stuff, Jesus. Can you teach us some more, some more?" So now Jesus begins to tell them about the parable of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great value, right? And, and it's important that we connect these two, and you'll see why in a minute. Even though that they're two distinct parables, they are interconnected and interrelated or interdependent, um, so that's why we are going to tackle them together. So let's read it. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. So in this first, first parable, we see... Uh, we see a treasure that is hidden in the field, right? A man finds it, but then he hides it again, and then he sells all that he has, and then what does he do? He buys the field. So when we look at, at the context of these kingdom parables, we see that the field in the first and second parable always symbolizes the world, right? The, the, the Greek word is, is cosmos, meaning mankind, made up of families, tribes, and nations, and, 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 and all 
kinds of people, right? So the field represents the world. So there should be no problem as to us ascertaining that the meaning of the field in this parable means the world, right? It, it's the same. We, the, the word will define the word, right? We can never take a, a scripture out of its context. We've got we've to find the cohesive meaning to it. And then it's only logical to conclude that the man in this fifth parable is also the same man pictured in the other parables, and that is Jesus himself, right? So the big question for us to tackle today, what is the treasure? If we know the man is Jesus and the field is the world, what is the treasure? Now, the, the common interpretation for this parable, like many others, is a mistaken one. And, and this is because Jesus Christ used parables not only to reveal truth to those that were sincerely seeking it, but he also used parables to conceal truth to those that weren't open to it, right? They, they, he used parables to reveal truth to those that, that were hungry, that wanted to know more, but he also used parables to conceal truth to those that weren't open to it or that weren't open to new truth. Now, this common misinterpretation is that Jesus or salvation is the treasure, right? That, that, that they are the treasure. And the man is the, a sinner who is seeking salvation and he finds it and he sells it, everything to, to find it. Well, first of all, the, the man finds the treasure. See, the truth is that people don't find Jesus, but rather Jesus finds them right? I know that oftentimes we, we, we testify, no, when I found the Lord or when, when I found Jesus, right? You know, I, I understand what you're trying to say, but it is not biblically accurate, right? For you to come to him, it's only because he found you, right? It's only because he called you and you simply heard his voice and you answered the call. So when we look at from a, a biblical perspective, see, when you were at Cooters on Friday night, you weren't looking for Jesus. You were looking for love in all the wrong places, right? <laughs> you weren't looking for Jesus. And please know I said cooters with a C, not hooters with an H, okay? Cooter, right? You, you weren't looking for Jesus when you were, you were out there doing your thing, right? But what you don't realize is that Jesus was looking for you. Jesus was seeking you. Jesus loved you so much that, that he was seeking you. In fact, when we look at nine, Luke, Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus came to seek. So Jesus left all the luxuries and the amenities of heaven to seek the, the, this treasure, to seek. And in fact, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they tried to play hide and go seek with God, they weren't seeking God in their sin, in their shame, in their embarrassment. They hid from him, but God came to seek them. So it's God who, who seeks us. So in, in this case, you know, the treasure cannot be the church, as some teach, because the whole of Christ's teaching is that the church is the light of the world and it should not be hidden, Right? So when we look at the prophetic interpretation of this, you know, and, and we see this, that, that Jesus dismissed the multitude and he took his disciples into the house, this has great significance. Why? Because Christ, Jesus Christ was, was sharing the form his kingdom was to assume 
after his departure. Remember that Jesus was preaching to the religious people. He wasn't preaching to the sinners. If you look at Jesus' message and his ministry, he was always preaching to the religious people. So he was always attacking religious paradigms. Why? Because they knew the word, but they didn't know the spirit of the word. Why? Because Jesus could see that with your lips you honor me, but your heart is far from me. So Jesus was always trying to attack religious constructs and religious mindset. And that's why he had to tell them about his kingdom, because the religious leaders, the Levites, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had, they, they had corrupted what, what God originally intended and what God originally created. So Jesus comes down and he begins to attack that religious mindset. So Jesus begins to share that there are two bodies, two elect people groups who are so inexpressibly precious in his sight that through them he would manifest his inexhaustible riches of his grace and glory. So Jesus is showing his disciples that in the realm of his kingdom, which is the realm of his dominion and authority, there were two elect companies. One was like a treasure, symbolizing the nation of Israel, and the other was like a pearl that symbolized the church. So the man is Jesus, right? Real, real simple, let's understand this. The man is Jesus, the field is the world. The treasure is who? The treasure is who? Israel. And the pearl is the church. Right? So now, now go to work tomorrow. Let me, let me school you on some things, right? <laughs> let, let, me, let me show you, right? So another key to unlocking this fifth parable, as well as the two parables which follow, is indicated in the way that Jesus divided the whole series of these seven parables. You will note that the seven parables are divided into two groups, right? The first four parables form one group, and then the last three form the second group. The first four were spoken to the multitude at the seaside. The last three were spoken inside the house to the disciples. Now, here's a little leadership lesson, right? Leadership as a leader, it is, irresponsible, it is irresponsible of you to give those that you are leading something that they have, do not have the maturity to be able to assimilate, right? You can't give them something that they can't handle. That's why you don't give your five-year-old the keys to your car, right? Because, do they want to drive? Do they think they can drive? Yeah, Malachi, he thinks he can drive. But I'm not going to give him the key to my, that would be irresponsible of me. So Jesus understands, like, I'm about to, I'm about to shed some, some, some truth bombs, but I understand that the multitude doesn't have the maturity to handle it, so I've got to teach this to my disciples right here. And so what he was telling them was that there are two people groups, one is Israel and one is the, the church, right? And, and it's amazing how I said is that the scripture will always explain itself when you take the time to investigate, you know, what God says about something instead of just easily grasping at surface explanations. Now, it's interesting to know that Israel is referred as, to go, as God's treasure in Exodus 19.5, Deuteronomy 14.2, and in Psalm 135.4. So they are called 
his treasure. Now, why is this important? Why did Jesus have to tell the disciples this, this truth that there's a treasure that represents Israel and there's a pearl that represents the church? Why? Because Israel thought that they were the only ones that would ever get to be with God forever in heaven. That's what they thought. They, 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 were, they, they, they were elitist, and they looked down upon everybody, right? And, and so just imagine if Jesus would have told this to the multitude, the multitude would have rejected the message because it would have clashed with the religious idea that they were God's chosen people. They literally thought that they were a bag of chips and all that right? They, they literally thought that, that no one else, that they had the monopoly, the corner on the market of God's love. And, and if so, if Jesus would have shared this with them, it would have shut them from hearing anything else because of the religious mindset. So once again, he's telling the people, he's saying, you know what, this, this, there's, there's two groups. There's a treasure that is hidden, but then there is a, a pearl. In fact, let's look at what Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 24, and 26 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so you will not feel proud about yourselves. So what happened? See, first, the, the Jews, the Israelites thought that they had the monopoly on God's love, right? So they couldn't imagine that God would love any other people, especially those dirty, filthy Gentiles, right? There's no way in their minds, you know, those that eat, you know, you know, pork and bacon and sausage, right? There's no way that God would ever love them enough, right? For they eat shrimp for God's sake. Like how could they ever go to heaven? That was the religious construct in their mind. But then something happened within the church. That same religious mindset began to permeate the church. They began to criticize the Jews, they forgot what God brought them out of. And see, that happens to us a lot of times, when, when, especially within the Latino community, which many of us, we were called outside of Catholicism, and we begin to criticize the Catholics because they're, they're religious, right? They worship idols, and, and for God's sake, all they do is repeat the same prayer. That's how they're criticized. Not knowing that now we, we are born again, we're saved, we're citizens of the kingdom, and what do we do? We repeat the same prayer. I guarantee you probably repeat the same prayer every time you eat or go to bed or when you get in the car and you travel. We don't realize that we fall into the same trap, the same paradigm of being religious. We, we just fall into it. Why? And, and so Paul now is talking to the Christian church. He said, hold your horses. Don't, don't feel all that great about yourself, right? I, I, it's important that you understand this truth, right? It's important that you understand this truth because right now you're, you forgot where God called you out of. You forgot what God brought you out of. He says, so I want you to know this so you will not feel proud about yourself some of the people of israel have hard hearts but this will only last until the number of gentiles comes to christ and so israel will be saved as the scriptures say the one who rescues will come from jerusalem and he will turn israel away from ungodliness 
right? So, so this parable is a picture of how Jesus Christ brought, or God brought Jesus to bring salvation to the world, right? We talked about it last week, how the, the parable of the lost sheep, the 99 and the one. The one, one isn't, the one isn't a picture of someone that used to come to church and they left the church. No, that one is a picture of Israel. Remember the law of 1% that the one activates the 99. And, and, and what this parable is telling us and what Paul is telling us, the reason that you and I, we have salvation is because God's love was so great for Israel that he realized that he couldn't redeem Israel without redeeming everybody. So that is the picture. The man finds the treasure. He says, but if I'm going to obtain the treasure, then I've got to buy the field. What does the field represent? The whole world. So that is how we and I, we get salvation. That's why it's important for us to understand this picture and this parable of the hidden treasure because it was God's love for Israel that he loved them so much that because the only way that he could redeem them was also redeeming us. He loved us so much. So the field is the world. The man is Jesus Christ himself. The treasure is God's chosen people the nation of Israel. And that's what Paul is saying. Wait, don't criticize the Israelites because they have a hardened heart because God himself hardened their heart so that he could extend salvation to you and I. So don't criticize them. Don't, don't, don't think it's all just about you. Romans eleven twenty eight says, from the standpoint of the gospel, the Jews, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, says, at present are enemies of God for your sake, which is for your benefit, but from the standpoint of God's choice, the Jews as his people, they are still loved by him for the sake of the fathers. So the treasure purchased at a great price is Israel. But because of his love was so great for Israel, he realized that he couldn't redeem them without redeeming the whole world. So that's why you and I have salvation. Now let's go to the pearl of great value. That's the, that's the interpretation of the hidden treasure. The pearl of great value, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So this sixth parable is probably the best known but yet the most misunderstood or wrongly interpreted of, interpreted of all of the seven parables of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the general consensus or that, that is commonly advanced is that Christianity is likened to one who seeks uh, or desires diligently salvation, and as a result of his own efforts, he is rewarded by finding Jesus Christ, which would be the pearl of great value. He then forsakes all, and he follows him. So first of all, the, the, the pearl cannot be salvation. The, the, the man, the merchant cannot be a sinner. Why? Because the sinner does not earnestly or seek salvation. Remember, we just talked about it. The Lord seeks him. The sinner cannot sell anything to buy salvation. There's nothing that you and I could have ever done to, able, to be able to purchase or to acquire or procure salvation. We, we, we have nothing of, of value in 
fact, it, it tells us in the Old Testament in Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Like even if we were to be perfect on this earth and never commit a sin or never, never to tell a lie, that God is saying that that is not even good enough for my righteousness. So the, the, the merchant cannot be a sinner. And then number three, this, the man in this parable, he's the one who buys the pearl of great value. Can anyone buy Jesus Christ? No. So the pearl of great value is not Jesus, it's not salvation, because neither one of those things could ever be purchased by us. So throughout these seven parables, the man referred to is Jesus. So it's only logical to conclude that the merchant or the man here in this parable is also Jesus Christ. Because he desires this pearl of great value. So what is this pearl? When you read the New Testament, you will realize that what Jesus Christ desires more than anything is to rule and to reign in your heart and life. Like I said it in the transition, either Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's no in between. You can't have it both ways. That, that's just the bottom line. Unless you surrender every aspect of your life and allow him to rule and to reign in your life, then, then he's not Lord of all. And his desire is for you to, 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 to be surrendered. Why? Because you don't have access to his kingdom or lordship until you surrender everything. You can't hold anything back, right? So, so here the merchant man, he regards this pearl as being of great value. Now, when I think about that, there's no more staggering thought in the scripture than that not only Jesus desired us, but that we are a great value to him. That he sold everything he had. Think about it. What a picture of what Jesus did. The Bible says that he left the luxuries and the amenities of heaven so that he could purchase us, so that he could ransom us. So it says the merchant man went looking for the pearl, right? See, no one could ever enlarge upon Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 1, 8, 1, 18 and 19, which states, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Why is it important to know that Jesus sees you as a pearl of great value? Because the, the devil's MO is always to attack your identity. When he begins to tell you that you're a failure, that you're a hypocrite, that you'll never change, that you're dirty, that you're ugly, that you're an adulterer, you're a fornicator, you're an alcoholic. When he begins to, he begins to pinpoint all of, all of your mistakes and begin to tell you that you are not worthy of God's blessings, that you are not worthy of, 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 God's, of God's love, that you are not worthy of God's grace. See, you gotta know this word and say, uh-uh, wait a minute, that's not the way that God sees me because the word of God tells me that he went seeking for me and when he found me he saw me as a pearl of great value he saw that I was something so valuable that he was willing to sell everything to purchase me to leave everything it's important that you understand who you are in Jesus Christ so that is why we talk about the pearl 
Now let's talk about the process of the pearl. You know, the Bible says that the pearl, this pearl of great value was, was uh, the object of, of great value to the merchant. Do you realize that the pearl is the only gem that is a byproduct of a living creature? Every other gem or jewel comes from the earth or the ground. But the pearl is only the only precious jewel or gem that is a byproduct of something that is alive. See, that tells me that the kingdom of God is something that is alive within our hearts. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take you back to biology class so that you can understand how a pearl is formed and made. Down in the ocean depths, there lives a small crustacean or a small animal encased in a shell, and we call that an oyster. That oyster is a scavenger. It's a scavenger in the ocean, sits down in the depths. Now, when a foreign substance, like a grain of sand, intrudes the, the shell of the oyster, it causes the oyster to, to secrete a substance called nacre and covers whatever it is. So when that sand comes into the center of the oyster, it creates a, a lesion or an irritation, a, a hurt. And the oyster's response to that lesion, to that, to that intruder, that invader, is to release a, a, a product called a nacre, right? And, and what it does, it begins to cover that area. And it begins to cover that substance. And, and it does this with layer and layer, one after the other, one after the other, up until the little oyster ultimately builds up this priceless pearl. So the first thing that I see from the process of the pearl, number one, is that a pearl is a product of suffering. The pearl is the answer to the injury that was inflicted upon the oyster. It is the offending particle that ultimately becomes the object of beauty, which injured the oyster and becomes a precious gem. Isn't that just a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ comes to do for us? There we are. We're stuck in the mire. We're stuck in the mud. We're, 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 we're literally scavengers. We're broken and we're hurt and we're the devil's trash can. But when we come to Jesus Christ, he begins to cover us with layers and layers of his blood and he he takes that one thing, that one area that is burnt and broken and hurt in your life, that thing that the devil tried to do to destroy you. And when you come to Jesus Christ, he takes the very thing that the devil tried to destroy you and he takes it and he transforms it to being something beautiful. That's why we say in the kingdom of God, brokenness is something that is beautiful. See, I've come to realize that all of the things that I've been through in my life, what gives God the greatest glory is those things that the devil tried to use to break me, to hurt me. And that's how he takes your mess and he turns it into a message. And he takes your test and he turns it into a testimony. He takes your mistake and he turns it into a miracle for his honor and glory. That is why Jesus Christ says that you, his church, are like a precious pearl. Number two. A pearl is formed slowly and gradually. 
See, Pearl does not come into existence in a single day, but there is a tedious process of waiting while the pearl is being slowly but surely formed, right? And just like we know, salvation is is instant but the process of the formation of the kingdom of God in 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 our lives takes takes time right it it is a process and that's why we have to be critical of we, we have to be careful of not being critical for those that aren't in the same level of journey or not as far in our journey see it's easy for you and I who have been walking with Jesus for 5 10 15 20 years but what about those that just started walking with him last week or those that started walking with him last month we can't expect them to be where you and I are at. And unfortunately, the religious mindset and the construct has caused people to be critical of those. And here at Access Church, we realize that, that it's in, salvation is this. The moment that you say the prayer, yes, you are saved, but, but sanctification and the formation of the kingdom of God, it takes time. In fact, it takes a lifetime to work out in your life. That's why don't be surprised if you see people walking up with a cigarette in their hand to access church. <gasps> yeah. Because they're still being formed. They're st- and just because they're still walking up with that cigarette or what they were drinking on the way here or where they were last night doesn't make them any less valuable pearl than you are. All it means is that you're five years ahead of them and ten years. And here at Access Church, when people come in broken and hurt, we don't judge them or criticize them. We're the nacre of God's love. And what we're here to do is love them and cover them and tell them, remind them, the world tells you you are junk. The world tells you that you are trash. But here in Access Church, we tell you that you are beautiful, that you are a pearl. Yeah, you don't look like me yet, but if you stick it out, we are going to love you and we are going to cover you. And by the time you you're done. You're going to be just as beautiful as everybody else. A pearl has a humble beginning. A beautiful pearl originally had its home in the depths of the sea, amid the mire and the filth, because that's where the oysters congregate. The oyster is a scavenger of the ocean, eating the, 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 the excrement of all of the other living creatures. And yet God chooses to call you the byproduct of what the Jew. Think, think about, see, you've got to realize that the Jews saw oysters as, as dirty animals. They were unkosher. That's why he couldn't tell the multitude that there's a pearl because right away they would they would have related the pearl to the oyster and say, how can anything good come out of that oyster? How can anything good come out of that person's life? Do you know her? Do you know where she was? Do you know who she was with? Do you know where he's been? Do you know what he's done? But the pearl has a humble and lowly beginning. See, that's why the Bible says if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you've got to humble yourself. You've got to humble yourself because that's where God looks. Number four, a pearl is formed in secret. See, the process of God's kingdom, Christ ruling their hearts is often unseen by the eye of man, but it's secretly taking place within our hearts and our life. Number five, a pearl is an object selected for honor and exalted future. 
See, that object in the ocean's depth, unseen by the eye of man, is gradually being built up until ultimately it becomes ready for a position of prominence and importance. Have you ever seen anybody wear an oyster necklace? I mean, I've been served a ring of oysters, you know, little ketchup and hot sauce and lime and limon, right? Slurp it down. Like, it's so good. Don't knock it till you try it, right? No. Or a ring, you know, here's my oyster ring, right? You know, or oyster earrings, no. But how many times have you seen beautiful necklaces full of beautiful pearls? Let me tell you that every one of those pearl came from a dirty oyster. But through the process, through the process, God took something that the earth, that the world saw no value, and he created something of prominence, of beauty, of importance. What, 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 this is what God wants to accomplish by the power of the Holy Spirit working out the kingdom of heaven in every life and just as the pearl of great value had a lowly humble beginning and ultimately gained a position of dignity honor and glory so God will take you the believer he'll take your character your disposition he'll take all of those rough edges those habits those attitudes all of those things and he will work something beautiful for his honor and glory and he will do it so great that no one would ever be able to detract from the beauty and the value that you are. See, the pearl is the result of the full attention of the oyster. See, the oyster seeks to ease the irritation of that foreign substance by throwing off a secretion which forms over that, that sore, that irritated spot, and the oyster becomes weaker and weaker as it puts off the secretion, all of which adds to this formation of the pearl. The pearl is then made perfect through the lingering, torturous, suffering death of the oyster. What a perfect picture of you and I. We were unclean, dirty oyster came into God's love and his understanding and he turned us into a pearl. But in order for the oyster to produce the pearl, the oyster has to die. See, there are things in our life that have to die so that God can do what he wants to do in our life. And that's what I was talking about. You surrendering those areas as long as you're holding on to them. You're, you're delaying the process of God producing you that beautiful pearl. You're delaying that process as long as you're saying, God, you can have this part of my life. You can have this part of my life. But God, don't touch this area. You're, you're holding it off. You might be holding on to past pains and past hurts. And it's until you submit and surrender it all and you allow God to take your life and he begins to form you to mold you you've got to be willing to allow some things to die so in order for the oyster to produce the pearl the oyster has to die what needs to die in your life today maybe you're holding on to well that's how my dad was I'm Sanchez yes he somos todos Sanchez right it's all hypothetical, like he is prophetic, right? 
you know. Así somos, um, you know. No, surrender it to the Lord. Let God take that sore area, that lesion, that irritation. I mean, what a beautiful picture of what God is seeking to accomplish in our lives in, 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 in times of adversity, in difficulty, in irritation. See, when you get a grain of sand in your eye, you know, it could bring an infection and even lead to the loss of eyesight because of the reaction or how the eye will react. Its very nature is to protect itself, to rid itself of any foreign element or irritation however should that same grain of sand enter an oyster instead of rejecting it the oyster uses it produces a concretion see the oyster does not react it accepts the irritation but realizes it may not be it may not feel good right now but if I don't quit God's going to take that same thing that the devil tried to use to stop me, to destroy me. God's going to take that area of adversity, irritation. That's what I'm talking about, being kingdom. Walking in that second level of Christianity where it's not about your comfort or your convenience. It's about the purposes of God. It's about you going through stuff in your life and say, I don't care, devil. You can talk about me. You can lie about me. You can backstab me. You can turn your back on me. But I'm not about to quit I'm not about to give up I'm going to keep coming I'm going to allow God to do what he's going to do in my life so that the price of the pearl the process of the pearl can take place that's what God wants to do he, see we're, we're so used to trying to evade evade difficulty evade adversity evade hardship but when your kingdom you don't pray say God you don't have to take the storm away but God I know you will walk me through the storm God you don't have to take the fire away God as long as you're in the fire I know I'm gonna be okay because it's not about me it's about you and your purpose and if you want to use me as a public testimony to what you can do in someone if my life and my testimony and my adversity can be an encouragement to someone else I'm okay with that because it's not about me it's about you and that's when you become the pearl That's what it is to be kingdom. The pastor didn't say, hi, so I'm leaving. I'm going to another church. He didn't like my post on Facebook. I know he saw it. It's, it's about con your convenience. Our kingdom it's about commitment I'm here because God called me here and let me tell you if next Sunday none of you show up I'm still going to preach the hell out of Eagle Pass all the religious people are like he said the H-E double hockey stick because I'm not here for you or for convenience I'm here for his purpose. Sometimes you scare me when y'all don't show up. Y'all go to the lake and don't invite a brother. But it's all good. Because I'm kingdom. I don't get hurt. Or oh, just for a little bit. But 
you go to Florida for three weeks and you don't invite me. But I'm kingdom. I'll get over it. I already told Noah he has no more PTO. He uses PTO for, for three years already, just in one vacation. We miss Noah. You got, we miss Noah, right, last few weeks? Amen. That's why we're kingdom. And the picture of the pearls. Let God take that area that the devil tried to break and convert it to something that is priceless and valuable and precious. Because that's who you are. You are the pearl. So when the devil tells you that you're ugly, that you're nothing, that you're broken, say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm a pearl in the making. I may not look like it right now, but one day God's purpose will be finished in my life. Will you stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the encouragement, God. I pray that as we face the afflictions and struggles and trials of of this life, God, that we would remember that we're not here for our comfort, God, but we're here out of commitment because we're committed to your purpose. God, I pray that Axis Church would be a kingdom church, a church of mature believers, a church that reflects your love and reflects your grace and your glory. God, that we would embrace the irritation. We would embrace the adversity. God, we would embrace the broken. Lord God, those that are are broken and hard in spirit, God, when they come in, God, we would not be the type of church that would reject them, but we would be the type of church that would love them, that we would would collaborate with you and and, and cooperate with you so that we can be a, a, a factor of nacre in their life that you use to produce that pearl that's inside of them lord we just pray god that you would just guide us and lead us to be that in this nation in this community in this region in jesus name we pray amen god bless you guys thank you for joining us and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry without you none of this is possible if you like this podcast please like and subscribe and share it on social media Thank you for listening. God bless you.